This is Cambridge Judge Business School's online knowledge centre with expert commentary, analysis and insights into the issues of the day. From new pay to new new pay. That's the question being posed by Jonathan Trevor, who feels the time may be right to revisit that area of financial reward for a job done. Traditionally, employment was managed by treating it as a risk to overcome tension between capital and labour. 19th century factory owners wanted maximum productivity for the lowest possible cost, creating a terrain for conflict in employment relationships. Dr Trevor feels the emphasis in terms of pay, working conditions, terms and conditions has been to effectively overcome a natural divergence of interest between employer and employee. This has been a focus for much of the 20th century, under the banner industrial relations. New pay was a distinct departure from that ethos. It reflected a managerial mode of determining pay not to overcome this conflict of interest, but to drive a sense of unity, a shared interest. New pay, he says, has been around for about 30 years as the dominant logic within industry centred on employment and reward for employment. It generates the maximum alignment between employers and employees, driven by managers at an organisational level, in the interests of the business. Dr Trevor's research, embracing new new pay, flags up that a major tipping point has been reached between the industrial age and the information revolution. Is that really what's driving new new pay? That development that you refer to, and I believe that's true, I think is actually bringing about the death of the new pay. New pay uh, effectively succeeded a previous system that was better fit for purpose in the context of, certainly in the case of Britain, our manufacturing and engineering uh, intensive industry, um, replacing that in the 1980s, 90s and 2000s with a service-based economy, much like the United States, for example. Uh, And there you find that actually the new pay, which is Uh, an attempt to create alignment organisationally using pay mechanisms such as base pay uh, incentives, often performance-based, and that alignment allows senior managers at the corporate level to effectively drive behaviours corporately. And that's a huge advantage, it's the idea of almost the chief executive having available to him a lever through which he can determine workforce behaviours on a mass basis. And at heart, that's the logic of the new pay. But what that requires necessarily is hierarchical organisation. It requires power concentrated at the top. It requires relatively predictable and known uh, factors around which you can formally plan and actually use pay as that lever. And I think that's being challenged progressively. And so we are at a tipping point because our organisations are becoming flatter. In fact, not just flatter, they are becoming more networks and they are hierarchies uh, more than ever before, planning is giving way to some sense of emergence strategy within organisations that emphasise not just performance but also change as well and are really struggling to manage that uh, tricky trade-off between flexibility on the one hand and efficiency on the other. So for me the interesting thing is that actually we've seen this progression throughout the last 100 years and I think we're at another tipping point where we're actually moving away from this idea of the using pay as a strategic tool as a lever for senior managers to actually something which is better fit for purpose in the context of the network-based information age organisation. Are we losing the perception of long-term employment of a company or a business or an organisation meaning something not just to the the managers or to the owners, but to the employees? Are they being rewarded for loyalty? Are they being rewarded for support? 
Uh, that's a great question. The structure of employment is changing, has to change. Now, of course, a caveat on that is that is not a uniform development across the world. There are very many people, the majority, in fact, who work in relatively low-skilled, repetitive tasks, uh, task-driven roles, and pay their... Uh, is essentially what it looked like in Britain during the 1950s and 60s. But certainly in um, uh, the West, certainly in uh, developing knowledge economies and how that's been transported throughout the world through a process of globalisation, I think the nature of work is changing. Um, it's a fundamental fact. Work is less secure than it once was. Uh, I think our uh, MBA graduates don't leave uh, uh, school, their degrees, uh, with the expectation that they will have a job for life. I mean, it's almost a, a, a complete uh, improbability. Actually, what they expect is to have a number of employers, uh, and, and through their employers, they can practice what it is they're passionate about, which is making a difference. So in a sense, employers become a vehicle uh, for personal influence. And I think the next logical progression is instead of a sequential uh, uh, in a sense, migration from one employer to another throughout one's career. Actually, I think the train will be far more uh, that we will work for multiple employers at the same time, fulfilling a portfolio of tasks and responsibilities. Um, and necessarily, that has to be individually driven. The implication of that is how do you reward that? How do you recognise success? How do you, uh, in a sense, recognise performance? What does performance even look like? And where will that sense of security come from? Um, and it also implies a radically different skill set, again, at the individual level, um, but within the context of, of organisations and what they require for success in the increasingly uh, intensely competitive environments in which they find themselves. This leads on, naturally, to your proposal that it's time for new, new pay design not to leverage the promotion of value, but more to protect value. I mean, paint the picture that you sketch for the HR and business communities. Well, you have to ask the question, why do we pay our bankers as much as we do? It's an intensely competitive uh, market for labour, for talent. Uh, I, I get that. But there's something more about the nature of the work that will become more and more commonplace going forward. It will be less measurable because it's more intangible and it's certainly more complex in a more dynamic environment. The use of traditional measures such as incentives will become progressively less effective. And so I think the key focus has to be how can we create and design uh, and secure jobs which are intrinsically meaningful? And as a result of being intrinsically meaningful, they are certainly uh, the people that fulfil them are more motivated and therefore reward becomes less of a priority in terms of securing their commitment and their discretionary contribution. Um, there is a lot more we can do to create jobs which uh, uh, tap into intrinsic interest uh, and that fundamentally is a sophistication around job matching, matching people's skills, their passion, their competence, their potential with what a, an employer can offer. Hertzberg made a very famous quote once which I think is absolutely true now, much more than ever before, if you want someone to do a good job then give them a good job to do. And that is the key to focus for companies. It's also, uh, uh, I think, an obligation of the individual to understand what it is they're passionate about and how they might go out there and secure that from the, the vast range of uh, options available to them. Uh, and if you believe that's true, then the essential equation is not about how you get pay right in the strategic sense, which is the focus of the new pay, but rather how do you avoid getting it wrong? How do you avoid... Uh, it, creating a sense of unfairness within the, the workforce so that actually the result of that is a, a conflict, either between individuals within work or actually, most importantly, between the individual and their employer. As you look to the future, what do you think is going to motivate people more? 
For me, one thing that we've potentially lost, uh, particularly from a, an HR perspective, but actually also from a leadership perspective as well, and particularly in the context of designing jobs and creating, uh, uh, in a sense, work routines which are aligned both to strategy but also to talent, is that fundamentally, people want to believe in something bigger than themselves. I have to believe that people will identify with something which is bigger than just purely their own personal fulfillment and self-interest. Um, and in many respects, uh, it is then for, therefore incumbent upon organisational leaders, whether they're policy makers or chief executives or otherwise, to create the environments in which uh, individuals and groups can really flourish uh, and contribute to something uh, that they identify with as being um, fundamentally uh, a positive difference to the world. And I, I believe that is a powerful force um, that we don't nearly tap into enough. And again, the fundamental issue there is we cannot, should not use pay as a crutch to address some of the lack of meaning or the loss of meaning that we're experiencing through driving punishing performance regimes as we are in our organisations. Uh, fundamentally, organisations are humanistic. They always have been and they always will be. And that's a source for good and one that we should tap into and manage very smartly going forward because otherwise we simply will not be fit for purpose. Jonathan Trevor, thank you very much. This programme was produced by Cambridge Judge Business School as part of its online broadcast series.